بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جاءت وسهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعني على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Radio folks, so today we start uh, actually a major chapter, uh, a major chapter. You guys are saying like I've got the flipping coronavirus. And what the hell is this? Do <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? You want to slow down, son? Did you just say this sniffling could sniffle you? So um, the uh, uh, the section that we're going to do today are the arkan, the pillars of the prayer. Okay, um, we'll speak about that in a second. So what does the sheikh say? Uh, we uh, it's only three lines, three words. I'm just going to do it in uh, in English. Fasl chapter arkanuha al qiyam. وَالتَّحْرِيمَ وَالْفَاتِحَةِ That's what we're going to cover today, or some of it today. Uh, chapter Arkan, the uh, pillars of the prayer. The pillars of the prayer are to stand, the opening takbir, and the fatiha. Alright, that's the three of the list. And basically, what's happened here, Sheikh Uthameen says on page 300, uh, uh, no, 200 and... Uh, 291 he says that you've got the author he's basically finished from describing the whole thing to do with the prayer what's in it what happens before it what happens during it what happens after it it's yani things which are allowed in it things which are not allowed in it things which are disliked in it so that's what we've been doing for you know the last year year and a half or whatever and so, you know, things which are within the prayer itself, things which are outside of the physical prayer, like the sutra, for example, the direction, for example, etc. And it's important for the student knowledge to have a very complete picture of the prayer, understand it, then go back to it and identify what are the key uh, aspects. And those key aspects are in the sharia, they're called the arkan. Arkan is a plural, rukan is the singular. And that basically, you know, in modern day kind of uh, texts, in jurisprudence texts, people translate it as, uh, as uh, essentials. Essentials. And I like that. I don't mind that. The essentials of the prayer. And the wajibat, which is a lower down, they call those the obligations of the prayer. And then the sunan, which are the recommended matters, they call like the desired or the recommended, يعني, something like that. So essentials is a... Is a kind of clever word or more neat word as opposed to pillars. But why is the word pillars used? Pillars are used because ruken, the word ruken means corner. And the corner of something is always its strongest. Okay, so when you have a, I always give the example of a chair. If you have a chair and you take away one of its legs, okay, then not only is that leg very important, but the chair can't stand up, it will fall down. And that is the clearest indication of what a ruken actually is. Without it, the act itself is incomplete. So without the leg, there's no chair. It just can't stand. Okay, it will fall down. Likewise, it's in the prayer so important 
Without it, the prayer falls down. You can't fix it, you can't replace it, you can't do anything. You've got to do it again. You have to ensure that all the arkan are present. That's why it's called the corners. That's why it's called the pillars. That's why it's called the essentials. Okay, folks? Um, so, uh, uh, it's also important to know that the arkan are to do with the actual acts of that worship. Just like the shurut are the actual things before the act of worship. So shurut, plural of shart, is prerequisite. And the word pre indicates it happens before, preconditions. So wudu, clean clothes, clean area, the right time, etc. The right direction. These are prerequisites for the prayer. The arkan are within the actual act, the manner of the actual act of the worship. The actual nuts and bolts that the prayer is, the, the act of worship is made out of or made from, the essential parts. It is not valid without them. Every act of worship is made up of actions and statements, and there are certain acts and statements that are so essential that without it, it doesn't stand. Whatever and however much you bring of the non essential stuff. Okay? Um, Sheikh says, what if a person says, what are the exact evidences to establish what those arkan are? Yani where's the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, the arkan of the prayer are five. One, two, three, four, five. The answer, we don't have that. In actual fact, not only do we not have any hadith like that for salah, we don't actually have any hadith like that for any of the acts of worship. Right? You see, it goes back to the issue. You've got all these volumes. This is in 15 volumes on my shelf. And I have other books of fiqh which are 50 volumes and 40 volumes and I have walls upon walls of full of explaining actually the most simplest of things. And we never saw the companions write anything, we never had to see them huge, have huge explanations. We know that the Prophet ﷺ didn't yani, need to give big immense commentaries. What's basically happening with the clever the people, the cleverer the people, they are understanding from the statement what's important, what's not important, what's essential, what's not essential. And as the generations go further away from the golden generation and time goes by, people need more resources, more explanations. They need mnemonics, they need numbers, they need t tables, they need graphs. They're not, you know, it's not like they hear something, they understand it. They need to be taught it in a really detailed way. So never was there a need to have these kind of lists. So how do we produce our list? How are we going to be in a few weeks time able to say, right, the Arkan are seven or the Arkan are nine or the Arkan are 14 and they are. That is because of a deep study of the same evidences that tell us what the information is. And from a comparison of the various evidences, we're actually able to deduce what is essential and what's not. It's purely by deduction. That's the actual answer. Purely by deduction. And because it's by deduction, there's always a possibility of being wrong. That's why fiqh is the most flexible matter in Islam. Because there's always, like I just gave in the reminder right now, okay? A lot of people would be surprised by what I said, that there is no evidence. I said this actually last week, didn't I? I said that there is no evidence that the hand is to be used for sneezing. And a number of people quoted to me, you know, what about the, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that when he sneezed, he would place his hand over his mouth. They, they're reading the Arabic. They're reading, كان يوضع, uh, 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 right? Let's look at that translated. When the Prophet ﷺ sneezed, he would place his yad, 
You know, we all know, from, even if we don't know Arabic, we know from Arabic that Yad means hand, okay? Or at least we think we do. And then he will place his hand over his mouth or his thobe, okay? And I just put it to everybody, as you've seen, that there is no evidence that it was the palm. This is called the kef. We've been speaking about that in this class as well. We've been speaking about the difference. We also know from our Bab al-Tahara 36 years ago when we started, yeah, that the A.D., yani, A.D.ahuma, wash yani, the A.D.ahuma ilal marafiq, right? The word A.D. is hands, right? So wash the yad until the marafiq. So if the yad, by definition, then starts from here to the mirfaq, to the elbow. So this is all the hand. So I want to put a case forward. I have a hypothesis. My hypothesis is, is that one should not sneeze into their hand. How do I establish my hypothesis? I go to the evidences and I build a case. I look at the evidences I want to use and I have to try to explain the evidences that are a problem for me. I look at all the evidences. There are only a few hadith in this chapter and all of them mention the word yad and they mention the word thawb at the same time. SubhanAllah, I wish that I had remembered to uh, use uh, the statement of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Um, uh, that video I'll release in a second, right, or tomorrow or whatever, so that people know what I'm talking about. But you know, uh, there's a narration which is Sahih, uh, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, beautiful hadith. Abu Huraira was sitting there amongst the companions and he sneezed. And he sneezed into his thobe. So they always used to sneeze into their clothes. And again, like I said, their clothes were very simple, right? And you know, I, I've told you this many, many times. This idea, you know, like the modern day Saudi clothes, you might think this is like what the Prophet wore. You know, it couldn't be possibly further from the truth, right? The idea of long flowing robes and the, uh, the, the luxury of having underwear and banin and, you know, and shamar and, you know, no, no, it's one layer job. You know, you can see the armpits of the Prophet they would be struggling to cover their body with one sheet. It's really simple stuff. And if they do have it, it's not fitted and tailored and whatever. It's all rough stuff. Big, long, big, rough. And so, you know, when you can imagine if I'm wearing like a kind of a sack material with a clear opening, big opening, it is very acceptable for me from the Arabic that, to, that, that yani, uh, he would sneeze into his thobe, that he's literally sneezing into his chest, yani, inside. You know what I mean? If my buttons were open and then you'd sneeze into there or into the bagginess of one's thobe or into the bagginess of one's sleeve. Uh, I was looking... Um, at some of the early texts and uh, Dar, uh, not that I give them any credence in the modern world yeah, and especially in politics but Dar al-Ifta' Nasriya the Ifta' Council for Misr their understanding of the hadith is that you, you do it into your uh, thingy cuff, your sleeve right? so here they understood the yad in this area and then you sneeze, you sneeze into this my point is is that the fact that the Prophet also be he right uh, 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 the, the fact that the thobe is mentioned next to the hand indicates it's nothing to do with the hand and it's about protecting other people. You get what I'm saying? Now, I haven't, and then there is a hadith out there that says, and it is sahih according to Imam Hakim, and Sheikh Lulbani considered it to be sahih as well, that Nabi when he would sneeze, he would sneeze into kafehi, all right, his two hands. Now, this Place, location, strength of this hadith does not match the place and strength of the hadith previously. So the jama' is either a misunderstanding or either the hadith is weak by definition because of the presence of more authentic hadith, which is why we go with the more authentic one, which is to sneeze into one's, uh, uh, to avoid the actual hands. 
even more so today when people are not maintaining hygiene and it's a spread of the disease as well, okay? And so therefore, but this is an interpretation. You can see that if I've decided to interpret the hand from here to there to support my theory, another scholar could come and say, no way, you need to use the hand itself because that's the only meaning of the word hand. And we have evidences to suggest that. In the Quran, we know that the yad in the Quran, when it comes to being cut, no one said it's cut at the elbow, right? They said the yad is cut at the hand. And then in the same Quran, the word yad is also established to mean the whole forearm. So person to person is going to make different istidlal in terms of how they see things. That's why it's great to be able to know this as a rule, as a student of knowledge, and then educate the people to take it easy when others have differences of opinion in the matters of fiqh. Aqidah, by the way, the exact opposite. There's no space for flapping around. People, Yani, is thinking that Islam is all flexible and it's all... A, no, no. No, when it comes to aqidah, when it comes to the belief of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah did not send down multiple ways to believe in Him. Or did not allow this kind of, you know, this secular, humanist way that everyone, however they get to God, and there are different paths to God and all that kind of bakwas. Yeah, that's not part of our uh, deen. All right. So, the first of these, arkan, is al-qiyam. Qiyam, the standing. And the evidence for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ And stand for Allah in obedience. Surah so, so Al-Baqarah 238. And the Prophet sallallahu said in the hadith of Imran ibn Hussain radiallahu anhu, صَلِّ قَائِمًا Pray standing up. فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَقَائِدًا And if you are unable to, then pray sitting down. And if فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَعَلَى جَنْبٍ And if you are unable to, then on your side. So the original ruling is to pray standing. And... The reason that when we have a list of arkan, you start with qiyam is because it actually comes before everything else. Ya'ani meaning, because you do see this and it is possible in the sunnah, that you might be sitting down on the floor and you want to start the prayer. So when you're getting up, you might say Allahu Akbar and then you're standing up and then you kind of, you know, do the hands and then you put your hands there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So imagine you're sitting down and you're getting up and as you're close to getting up, but you're still halfway, you say Allahu Akbar, and then you stand up and then you uh, do this, right? Technically, you actually made the takbir before the qiyam. And that's yani, the importance of knowing that the qiyam is first, i.e. that a person has to be fully standing straight and then say Allahu Akbar. So qiyam is the first rukan when it comes to the uh, uh, prayer And evidence of this is that the Prophet says that when you want to establish the prayer Then go and perfect your wudu Face the qibla and say Allahu Akbar Hadith Bukhari uh, 755 um, A person might ask How have you made standing a rukan? How are you claiming that to stand is an absolute essential. And the Prophet ﷺ said in the authentic hadith, Salatul Qa'id ala nis min Salatul Qa'im. Yeah. Salatul Qa'id ala nis min Salatul Qa'im. Hadith narrated by Bukhari, hadith number 1115. The prayer of the one sitting down is half of the one who prays standing up. So that hadith is there. So how can, with this yani hadith, how can you say that the, the hadith is, uh, that, 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 that to stand, is uh, an essential um, because this hadith uh, just to develop the argument indicates that there's reward in sitting down how can there be reward in something if it is an essential and it's left out that's the basic yani contradiction yeah the answer to that is that 
the prayer, as we've been learning so far, has aspects which are obligatory and which are non-obligatory. Fard and nafal. Okay, supererogatory. And what you do based upon the supporting evidences is to understand that actually this hadith is only referring to the non-obligatory prayers. Why? Because this statement of the Prophet ﷺ, we only ever see done in the Prophet ﷺ in the non-obligatory prayers. Yes, he did say that, but yes, he only did it in the non-obligatory prayers. We haven't seen him once do it in the obligatory prayers. In any fard prayer did we see him sitting down and pray like that. And rather when he's traveling, when he is praying nafal, we do then see him practice that. So therefore, the side evidences make us understand this essential evidence that ah, this is only to be applied to the nafal prayers, to the nafal prayers, when he's in a journey or when he is on his uh, rahal. If the Prophet ﷺ had done this in the obligatory prayer, then correct, we would not have made the, the, the qiyam, the, the rukan. Sheikh says, Mas'ala, wayajibu al-qiyam walaw mu'atamidan. Ya'ani, uh, the Sheikh is saying that in Sheikh's opinion, that it is obligatory to stand even with assistance, even if you need assistance, even if you need to lean. So, Sheikh says, If someone says, What's the situation for a person? If they are allowed... Uh, uh, if a, a person's legs yani, are not strong enough, but they're having to now lean on a stick or on a wall or on a pillar and so on, yani, what is this, the answer there? And the answer is, Because of the generality of the evidences, it is still obligatory upon you to stand if you are able to with the help of other things, other devices, other walls, supports, etc. Someone will say, what, what are the limits of that? How far does one go when it comes to that, yani, uh, uh, that leaning of, of, of standing and the use of other things? And what's the, what's the definition of standing? What does it actually mean? Uh, does it mean that I have to be absolutely straight? Or can I yani, bend my back? Yani, can I slouch, for example? Or can I lean over slightly, for example? And Sheikh says, if you bend your back to the level of ruku'ah, then this is obviously not yani, someone who's standing and that's something which is not valid unless a person has uh, spinal problems. Is, uh, uh, is hunchbacked an actual a medical term? Or is that just a colloquial phrase? It's a medical condition, but the hunchback is a colloquial term for the medical condition. Which is what? Scoliosis, yeah, and that can obviously be of various degrees that I don't allow the spine uh, to straighten. And so therefore, if one has that, then that is their qiyam. That is their actual position. So we're talking about normality. Huh? So, the, so when, you have a, uh, when you don't have a condition, the, you're not allowed to be coming towards ruku or close to ruku, but any kind of slight kind of uh, iteration from, from straight, it's something which is basit, yani something simple. The, the more pronounced it becomes and you don't have the condition, that's when it becomes unacceptable. That's the understanding of the limits of uh, standing, what it actually means. If someone says, This is something we've discussed a couple of times over the last few years. Yeah? If a person is able to stand, okay, 
but they are afraid of standing. Okay, so they are able to stand, but they are afraid of standing. And it's this which we've been using to allow the prayer in a plane, sitting down, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ فَرِجَالًا أَوْ رُكْبَانًا Right? In Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 238 to 239, Allah says, and stand for Allah obediently, فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ but if you are scared, فَرِجَالًا أَوْ رُكْبَانًا Meaning that stand in prayer proper, get the job done. But if you're scared, then do it whilst walking or whilst riding. Whilst walking or whilst riding. So this is an ayah which indicates that in situations of war or fear or some major issue, you are allowed to pray on the move. Or in other words, fear is a legal excuse to remove the obligation or I should, I should say, the rukan of the two most rukan or arkan of the prayer, which are two what? Which are what? No, no. Sorry? Sujood and ruku'ah. These are the two. You know when a person, if you were to be asked, what are the most obligatory of the uh, arkan? That, I know that same, same makes no sense. But you know what I mean. The most emphasized of the arkan, it is the ruku' and the sujood. These are the two which, which encompass the essence of the prayer most. They capture its obedience, its humbleness, its humility, its objective, the tawheed of Allah, your, your servitude, it encompasses it. And that's why uh, Allah, يعني, obviously Allah says many times in the Qur'an, or or in this kind of way, speaking to the individual, speaking to the whatever, but also okay? and so for example, we are commanded to, to make ruku' and make sujood, and in the Quran we know that when this is used, this phraseology, it means pray and pray. So these are two really big representations of the prayer. And so if, as Sheikh says, nice point, he goes that if Allah, out of for fear reasons, has allowed you to not have to make ruku' and sujood, then qiyam is much less than that. Yani, qiyam is a lot easier to excuse, is what Sheikh is saying. And so therefore he's saying that it's allowed. And as I said, this is obviously war, fear of death. Now, uh, when scholars try to find a solution to people on a plane, whatever, it's obviously uh, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're kind of you know, becoming a bit desperate if we're trying to make out that you're going to die, okay? Obviously, then we start speaking about marshals and they might pull out a gun and you know, we're stretching it a bit, you know what I mean? Getting a bit desperate. But there's another point there. As we argued, we said that is it really the fear of death or is it the fact that a person can't think? Right? Because what is fear of death? Essentially, fear of death is you unable to focus on the job at hand because of so much anxiety. Right? I know this is stretching it, but that's what it is. And if a person is not worried of dying, but worried that everybody's going to think that he's a terrorist, okay, or full bestie, whatever, everybody's looking at him, and he cannot focus at all, then there's a lot of similarity there. And that's why we gave that ruling, that it's allowed for a person in that desperate situation to, uh, or his or her desperate situation, to then pray sitting down. And we said before that a person who has the money, they should buy a first class, business class, use the extra space, or a person has the kahunis, yani, then you should stand and do it. And, you know, there should always be people representing. There should always be people who represent. It's very important. You see, that's why I'm very careful about trying to go too big on these concessions. 
I think concessions are okay to be there in the background to help yani, those who are a bit miskeen, right? But people have got to man up and get out there and show that we're still a presence in the railway stations, in the football stadiums, in the airports, in the planes. There's got to be a minimum number that are representing that allow people to become normalized to this action. We cannot allow to become normalized the exception. We must make the sifa amma, the generality, the normal. Yes. So you were praying in the gallery, the, the, the kitchen, basically. Yeah. So it wasn't a Saudi Airlines flight that had its own musalla. So it was just a place that was being given. Yeah, yeah. So just for the sake of the, uh, the microphone of people online, this is saying that, uh, you know, I was on a flight recently and uh, uh, Fajr came and a number of the people went to the back to the kitchen and they prayed all proper, standing and all the rest of it. So your question is, should, I, should you have stayed in your seat or should you... Yeah, which one would have been better? Because she then found that there was alcohol and everything surrounding. So in my opinion, it is allowed to pray in the, the seat here. And it is better than going there for two reasons. Last time I covered this, I explained, obviously there was no alcohol involved then. But uh, last time I mentioned that uh, uh, the praying of such places is going to have two or three or two consequences. Either one, you're going to pray in a public way. A public way means either the pathway that people need for moving or to access toilets or to access an emergency exit. So you might, if you go to the back, yes, you are uh, out of the way of the pathway, but you're certainly going to be involved in emergency exit unless they've got back spaces now in economy that are not next to an emergency exit, which I don't think so. Obviously, I'm there a lot, but Uthman, I don't know whether you know about that, obviously. <laughs> But uh, Uthman has never seen uh, economy uh, exists. That's the problem. So, so um, uh, <laughs> why are you reacting so bad for that one, Lala? You killed him, Yala. The guy's going all red. The guy, the guy's thinking, man, we're all Sunnat Tariqa, and we're turning right, Yala. Drunk, Yala. So, um, uh, so for me, the issue is, is that uh, a person should not be in any kind of way of emergency or pathway or whatever, even emergency exit. And I also mentioned last time that if there's someone, for example, that wants water or service, that's what they've paid for, right? And a kitchen is definitely a place that if... Now, one person I can maybe understand, but if there's multiple people, then you are going to be stopping people getting the water or the drink or whatever, and that's not right. That's not right. So in my opinion, personally, person prays in their chair, um, uh, 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 you know, and for me, it would not have been between these two, by the way. For me, it's between sitting on your chair and praying by yourself at the back. The concept of a jama'ah on a, on a plane, you guys are next level, okay? You just took it a whole next degree, mashallah. Uh, can one say that the Fad prayer have different arkan than the nawafil prayer as the qiyam is not a rukan in the nafil prayer? It is possible to say that. It's a, it's a semantic point, Hamza, yeah? because if I say that, that they're different, then, okay, we can learn it like that. Or rather, I can say, no, the arkan are the same in the prayer, but there are exceptions in the nafil prayer. So it's not, it's actually, my second statement is more correct than the first. 
Because as we've been establishing throughout this year and last year, that what is established in the Sunnah is obligatory and the same in the obligatory and vice versa as well. It's only exceptions. So we shouldn't make it as two categories per se. Are there any concessions with regards to praying a minute or two before Salat? We'll come to that later. Come down, like a, uh, uh, questions on the class for now. It's okay, you can do it tomorrow. I'm sorry, I'm So, um, it's okay, Lala. Could you reiterate the point you made a while back with regard we'll to that later? So, going back to your point of the, the difference between the Arsan of the, of the Nawafil compared to the Farah, yeah. then Salah before Qiyam, we have a difference because if you are going to do an obligatory fast, it's obligation for you to make anything from before. Yeah, so, 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 so what the question is, what Hamza is asking is actually a good question. He's saying, should we say that the uh, obligatory have arkan and the nafil have the arkan? Now, the answer is actually irrelevant because it's going to be the same. Because in the end, if I was to count 14 arkan for obligation and 10 because of these differences for nafil, whether in the end it's always going to be 14 and 10. But you either define it by saying, there's 14 for the obligation and there's 10 for the nafil. Or you say there are 14 arkan in the prayer, which are, no, and they don't mention 10. And you say that, but it's not, this is not one of those for the nafil. And this is not one. You don't count them and list them for the nafil, even though the consequence is the same. The second way of speaking is the more technical and the more scholarly, more academic. Down, down. Wasn't there another question? Lala, you're asleep, aren't you, today? Completely. Up, man, up, 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 up. Torin, going, quick, 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 man. Just destroyed our class. Right, respond to your question during the Q&A. Huh? Oh, okay. If you, are, yeah, yeah. if you are ill, this is what I saw, or have a cold, are you excused from attending Jama'at at the Masjid? Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah, you didn't hear the, the, the thing, Harris. Yeah. You are absolutely excused. In actual fact, and especially if it's contagious, i.e. not the common cold, but yeah, like coronavirus, it's obligatory to stand at home, stay at home. Do you have any rec recommended resources for Qumu'amalat in Arabic? Uh, yeah, in Arabic I do. Wahba uh, Zuhaili's um, Fiqh al-Mu'amalat is very good. Okay, Wahba Zuhaili. Alright, uh, from my understanding it's okay to pray sitting in the Sunnah prayers, but what about the Witr and the Sunnah of Fajr? This is a very good question. Okay, now technically speaking, technically speaking, it's allowed to pray both the Witr and the Sunnah sitting down. Okay? It is technically allowed to pray those prayers sitting down. However, the action of the Prophet is that we have not observed him or the major companions praying the Sunnah of Fajr and the Witr sitting down. That's why yani, it's cute and quite accurate what the Hanafis did when they gave the Witr especially its own unique category in terms of legal ruling. They didn't call it a Fard. They didn't call it a Nafal. They called it yani, Wajib or, you know, uh, uh, this idea that it's yani, not so obligatory as the Fard no. And they did that not for this reason They did that because of evidences And how they understood the evidences They're not that yani, miskin. They did it for, with proper methodology However, actually you see that there are evidences About the Sunnah of Fajr that don't look like a Sunnah The amount of reward for it amount of Allah loves it The fact the Prophet never left it That he would do it when he was travelling yeah, and if he missed the prayer, he would always do it, make it up. Others don't get made up. So it's got some unique characteristics, but it's definitely not an obligation. So sometimes you know, have these exceptions to the general rule. Okay? Um, right, I think we're done a quote up yeah, in, in terms of that. So 
Sheikh says, Masala, um, if a person um, If a person, now I've spoken about that, if a person's back is very, very bad, he prays as it is, even if he's in ruku'a, yani that bad. That is his standing. And he would just move a tiny bit forward for ruku'a. That's what we accept, a little bit of a difference, or even if there's no difference for he's trying, he's an ma'zur. Ma'zur means he is excused, okay? Mas'ala, if someone says that it is obligatory to stand, even if you are leaning, um, is it actually allowed to lean on something? All right. Is it actually allowed to be yani, uh, uh, supporting yourself? Who is that ruling for? This concept of supporting. Sheikh says, If a person cannot stand except by leaning on something, it is permissible for him to lean, to take support. And if a person is allowed, uh, sorry, a person is able to stand by himself independently, that person is not allowed to lean, not allowed to lean. However, if it's minimal, then that's something which is okay. The, the minimal, I think we've all seen, and it's against the wall, isn't it? Yeah, this is in a very small area that you're praying, you know, like maybe at work, you're in a changing room, for example, yeah, and you're praying. You can, when you stand up, you'll feel the wall against your back. The feeling of the wall against your back is one that is a definite feel. I know that you know you kind of lean back a bit, but it's not the leaning that, as the fuqaha say, if it's taken away, will you fall, right? So this was used by some people. If it's taken away and you fall, that's too much leaning, and therefore it's cancelled. However, if it is yani, that which is, you know, it's, it's, it's taken away and you, you don't affect it, it doesn't affect you, then this is the permissible leaning. There's an argument to be said, as, as they'll say, that uh, actually anything that you're leaning on, if you don't know about it and it's taken away, you will fall. Okay? Because, I mean, I don't know how true that is. Why would the side be indifferent? <laughs> he proved it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't lean on doors, right? That's what uh, Sheikh said. If someone says, غير منضبط, and this is a good statement, he goes, This is not a legal discussion. There's, there's no limit for this. How do you. How do you control this? He says, okay? He says, uh, uh, Because he goes, if any person is told we're going to take this away, he will never fall, even if he is lightly leaning. So then what does that mean to the legal definition of what he was doing? This is the point of the person. And he's arguing that, and if he is not aware and someone opens a door, because the door is a good example, actually. If you're leaning on a door and someone just opens it, you are falling. Most of the time. Yeah. So Sheikh says, He goes, listen, forget that. He goes, very simple. If it's bearing your weight, it's not allowed. 
If it's not bearing your weight, it's valid. That's basically what you're saying. Go on. Oh, one of those, yeah? One of those, one of those wedges, yeah? Oh, right. Oh, tight. <laughs> what do you do with that? Yeah. But you're not leaning on him. He's tight against you, but you're not leaning on him, are you? And if, he's leaning on me then. Okay. That's his problem. It's not your problem. <laughs> okay, and then Sheikh says, uh, some of the scholars said, um, some of the scholars said that the generality of the statement وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ stand for Allah in obedience and the statement صَلِّ قَائِمًا stand يعني, uh, pray, praying يَشْمُلْ حَتَّى الْمُعْتَمَدْ عَلَى شَيْءِ يَسْقُتُ لَوْ And they said that it's allowed actually for a person to pray using anything, leaning on anything as long as they're standing up. They basically said the generality of the evidences does not say it has to be يعني, without a support. Sheikh uh, 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 said, so they can have a support. Sheikh says, لكن فقهاؤنا, but our fuqaha, may Allah have mercy upon them, they said, لا يجوز الاعتماد على شيء اعتمادا قويا بحيث يسقط لو أزيل. It's not permissible to lean on something so much that if it was to be taken away, then it, you would fall. This is obviously for the person who does not have to lean. As for someone who's too old or too weak and they have to lean, they're allowed to lean on anything regardless. Okay? All right. That's the Qiyam. Any questions on... Uh, let's deal with the questions on Qiyam. Uh, uh, come down. Is there any more? Is Asya's one first? All right. Surely the point of needing a permission to lean against something is to enable a person. So it seems strange to say it becomes impermissible to lean if you need to. Huh? Yeah, if you don't need to, it's not allowed. Yeah, good. Assalam. Regarding interacting with the verses during prayer, uh, this is, I think, last week, yeah? Oh, yeah. When the ayah okay, is recited by either the imam or was praying alone, are we meant to say the salawat? Should we say the full darood or just Allahumma salli ala Muhammad? And there's a ruling same in the fard and the sunnah. Basically, Allah, when he says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima, all you who believe, yani send peace and blessings upon the Prophet yani, and you hear that, that's a command. And normally when that's said, then it's, we need to respond to it by doing that. Is it obligatory in the prayer? What happens if the Imam recites it? Do we say it, yani, you know, Sallallahu Alaihi Muhammad in the prayer itself? And the answer to that is that it is permissible for a person to say it, just like we said, it is permissible, and some scholars actually said it's recommended, to say Alhamdulillah if you sneeze. So if you sneeze, you say Alhamdulillah, and, uh, uh, but just not out loud. Now, even on the issue of out loud, by the way, there's a little bit of space on, on that. I don't know whether I discussed that last time. You know, some, the Prophet was praying and uh, a jama'ah and someone pr- uh, sneezed and alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, then he turned around, he said, who said that? Yeah, I covered that hadith, yeah? Okay, good. So obviously he heard that and he didn't make him repeat the prayer again. There the was not allowed it for someone to say, yeah? So to send salam yani, should be, you can do it then or you can uh, ca- uh, hold it up until you finish from the prayer, which is probably the preferred version to say it out loud. But if you say it yourself, then because the wording is not speech, it is adhkar, from the jins of the prayer, it's acceptable. It's allowed. 
even though personally I prefer to wait until after the prayer. But I think it's quite, it's quite okay. Is it permissible to use something for support to get up between the sujood and standing? Not out of a physical handicap, but because you're having to pray in an awkward space. Like the, yeah. So not while you're standing, but just to help you get up. I mean, obviously if it's a need to get up, then that's not a problem. Yeah, that's not a problem. Even, even yani, you know, we said that you're standing up from the prayer and using your hands. We said that that itself is not the optimum way of praying. You should stand straight up. Okay. But if you do, then it's allowed. But it's not optimum. And especially if you're in a tight space and got some angles and stuff, then, you, you know, you need to uh, do that. The golden rule, of course, if you've never prayed, yani obviously you don't, don't know how much life experience you have, is that when you're praying next to a wall, don't pray with your back towards the wall, okay? Because you will send yourself flying when you go for a quarter, okay? Just so in case you don't know, yeah? Make sure you pray. Did I ever tell you about the time I prayed in um, when I was skiing? So, took off the skis, obviously, okay? <laughs> you would have thought, I thought, I'm so clever here, mashallah, I took off my, my, my skis, I'm going to smash this, yeah? And then, you know, the quarter's fine. And I went slow down for sajda and I just collapsed, of course, because I completely forgot that you, you're not, you can't do the, the bend. Yani your knees, you, you're kind of fine until you go halfway. And then when you're expecting your, you know, your foot to give way, when you're expecting your, your foot to go like that, you've got this massive ski boot on that's not moving for, 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 for nothing. Boot, yeah, yeah, of course. It was flipping snowing, man. I was going to pray in my flipping socks, was it? So... I was, I, I lay flat out, flat out. <laughs> so, take it from me, life lessons. Don't pray too close to a wall, don't put ski boots on. Can you touch on the point about praying on a chair? Some people, even they are about, even, even though they are able to walk, even though they are able to walk, they pray sitting the entire salah as they are not able to do ruku' or sujood properly. They should stand for qiyam and then sit to do ruku' and sujood, I believe, is the correct way. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. The consequences of me saying to you today that it's a rukan of the prayer to stand means it is not permissible at all for you to stand, uh, to sit on a chair whilst praying unless you physically cannot stand. And the vast majority of people can do that. And it's a disaster. And I know that some scholars are the ones that gave them this ruling. And, uh, uh, but this is a complete yani, travesty, an absence of fiqh, absence of evidence and really unacceptable and you've got to help advise a lot of people and, and you know what it is you'll get one in ten who'll turn around and say no that's what my imam told me you've got to pray all sitting down or all standing up which has no basis in sharia whatsoever by the way so when you see a person like that and you get a feeling because you'll get a feeling you'll know who is you know hobbling and they're not standing they're the ones that you expect to sit down but when you see some yani guy walking straight into the masjid pull out the chair and then plonk himself down what the hell is that? Yeah, and most do. Most have been told or they believe that when you're sitting on the chair, you pray sitting on a chair. So, good point, name. Person has to stand, has to make full ruku, has to stand back up again. And then instead of going for sajda, he sits on the chair. The chair is there to replace the only part that he's unable to do. And that's it. Yeah? Okay, that's clear. Uh, we're doing for time. Oh, yeah, we can do the next one. What tahrima? So, the second. Ruken is At-Tahrima At-Tahrima is a nickname for Takbiratul Ihram So the second Ruken is Takbiratul Ihram And it's called the Tahrima as a nickname Because it is that which makes everything haram That's what Tahrima means Takbiratul Ihram is the 
the statement Allahu Akbar, which makes everything else haram and establishes the prayer. That's the full meaning of takbiyatul ihram. But tahrima is much more simpler, much more yani, better to use. The tahrima itself is the only takbir in the prayer that is a rukan. The rest of them are all obligatory. That's a very useful fact to know. And we're going to go into this yani, in detail later. Um, and obviously, um, I don't know, last year was it? What, uh, 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 page 19 and this, that, whatever. Was that last year? The beginning of this third volume. Yeah, last year we covered all the conditions of the takbir in detail. By the way, we've covered all of these. Just so that, you know, you know, we have, I know you're thinking, you know, you've not. But go back to your notes and you'll see we've covered all these points, but we're now just listing them now, right? So takbir al-ihram, how you do it, where the hands go, what you say. So my question is, what is the actual rukun, folks? What is the actual rukan? If I say the tahrima is the rukan, what does that mean? Does that mean the raising of the hands and where to? And does it mean the uh, uh, location and the statement and the direction? I mean, what does it mean? What's the rukan? Because we've described it in detail where the hands go. And how far, and then whatever. So we have raised the hands. Okay. Okay, so raise the hands to the level uh, as you would in sujood. Huh? Palms towards the qibla. Yeah, facing towards qibla. So again, let me just make it clear that what is the rukan of that, what is the pillar actually that we need to do here. We've described in detail that for the qiyam, it's a stand, like you look like you're standing. If there's a little lean, that's okay. And if you're a little leaning on something, that's okay. We've defined what we want from person and qiyam. Now I want to know what you need to do to ensure, ensure that you did the tahrima. So hands up to here and for hands facing out. Jiva. So to say Allahu Akbar, yeah, and in a verbal way that's loud enough for you to know that you've said it. You don't necessarily have to hear it or other people hear it, but yani, enough that you know you said it. And that, of course, is our class position for all of the adhkar when it comes to saying things. That it needs to be loud enough to know that you said it, not necessarily that you hear it. Okay? So is that correct, Fahad? So Fahad is adding there's a mental state as well, preparedness for the prayer, understanding what you're getting into, and so on and so forth. So, so far, three aspects have been mentioned. The hands, their location and everything. The statement of Allahu Akbar and the state of mind. So that's three that have been mentioned. Anything else? What are you saying? Yeah, so that comes under intention, right? Or, or maybe you're thinking that's part of the hal of the whatever. And... Hamza and Rehan are saying no, it's the statement only and the statement only. And of course, may Allah forgive you all, it is the statement only. Okay? There is no state of mind that's recommended. The intention is an obligation before the prayer. It's a shart of the prayer. So the intention has to happen independent of the rukan of takbir al-ihram. Very important to remember what we've covered and studied, folks. Yeah? The intention is a prerequisite. It has to be there in your mind before you stand up, before you, yani, you know, 
uh, and we actually went into a lot of detail the last second of it and how early can it be and yani, whether it needs to be specific and whether it's got to be yani, imam ke piche, blah 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 we've done all that behavior right so it's got to be a feeling and an intention and a direction and an idea that's rough in your mind and I said to you my personal opinion is that it's enough that you're driving to the masjid midday while on earth would you be doing that other than to pray dhuhr for me that's acceptable yeah um, so yeah and it's not the hands and the location and it's not that the other people hear it or loud or whatever these are all sunan of the takbiratul ihram these are what make takbiratul ihram or the tahrima perfect makes it nice it makes it yani, it's quite acceptable for a person to have his hands by his side and just say Allahu Akbar and then carry on praying and not lift the hands at all no one else understand it at all for his hands not to return back to the right on the left in the middle at all these are sunan of the prayer not the arkan is that clear everybody yeah so it's the statement only Solange we covered this we covered this Solange uh, I don't know where but we covered it when we had the discussion when you're reciting maybe reciting Fatiha we said that there are different opinions right that it's got to be loud enough for other people to hear or it's got to be loud enough so that you can hear the you can hear the, the whispering and then there is a recitation which I definitely can hear myself you can't hear me though and we said the evidence for the second position is strong but the third one seems to be stronger and we adopt the third uh, one it's Correct, it's not about sound so much, it's about the articulation. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah, correct. Verbalization, when we say verbalization, which is the only requirement of takbiratul ihram, to say Allahu Akbar, it's got to be said, not that you hear it, but that you know that you've said it. And it can't be in your mind. Can't be in your mind. This is the difference, by the way, between an obligatory a form of dhikr that's required in an act of worship and dua. This is very important for you folks, okay? Dua does not have to be something said on the tongue. Because we say a lot of times that dua is made in the language of the hearts, not the language of the tongues. Dua is a desperation that sometimes people can't make out but with their tongues. They don't know the language, they don't know the Arabic, they don't know, they don't have the time. They're just hoping. They just some people are just crying. Some people are desperate. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala listens to the desperation of the heart, the dua, the request. Unlike an obligatory zikr. And unfortunately, we've got so many people who stand there and they're praying their fatiha in their head. And that's completely unacceptable. This is not qira'a, this is not recitation. Recitation in our modern terms is articulation, where you're making the actual words and sounds, but you don't have to hear it per se. Yeah? Um, there was a question underneath, I think. Lala. Uh, come on, man. Come on. Honest to God, you are so irritating today. I swear to you, man. Right. Um, is it permissible to pray one raka'ah of sunnah standing and then the second sitting? Yes, ayah. That's, that's permissible. Um, uh, uh, it is permissible to change because a person feels tired, it's permissible to adjust in the sunnah prayer. That's something allowed. By the way, this is also something which is allowed in the obligatory prayer for someone who's sick and actually should be the recommended approach. Okay? 
So I'll give you the, cl the classic example is the one who does not have the, the, the ability of their legs to get themselves up, but they don't have the pain in sajda. So this person should not, you know, I, I'm trying to obviously educate people to get away from a chair. The chair is not a sunnah and chair should be avoided as much as possible. And we should depend upon the ground. And I want people, you know, that, 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 look, uh, I'm glad you answered, answered this, question, asked this question because right now in our minds, the idea is pray on a chair because if I go to sajda, I can't get up. So therefore, I'm going to pray on a chair. And I'll do the ruku, sajda, I'll do the sajda part and the tashahud part on the chair and the rest I'll do standing. This is actually an incorrect choice. The correct choice is, oh, you can't get up, pray standing, ruku, and then go down. If you can go to sajda, you go to sajda. And if you can't sit, you know, in tashahud position normally, then you come back up and you sit down on your backside, cross-legged, and then you do the second sajda like, yani, like a pseudo one, and then you remain on the floor. You don't have to get up. And the rest of your whole prayer is on the floor. That is actually the sunnah approach. And it would get rid of the problems. Now, you remember, they're saying that I can't do that every rak'ah because I can't have someone there to help me up. Which is fair. Which is fair because they're praying. We expect you to be able to be got up at the end of the prayer. When you finish, there'll be someone there. Can you give me a hand? And they'll lift you up. Yes. If you know that you're going to be praying with, with weak people, old people, that it's a chance there's not going to be someone there, then, okay, it makes sense. I mean, my point is you just don't rush to the chair. The chair's got to be a last resort. And you've got to exhaust and get other people, Yanni, to utilize them and other means to get up and so on and so forth. And sometimes they're not even saying that I can't get up, but it takes a huge effort to get up and a huge pain. So once getting up is okay at the end. Yeah. So there's no basis for that, right? Yeah, that, that's, th those people are, doing, are following the same ruling as the chair, but being religious about we don't use chairs. You get what I'm saying? So this is, by the way, I found to my anecdotal study, a pack thing. No, the, 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 the sitting all the way through and starting off on the ground. Like when you go back home, it's only now that the chair is starting to come out. Before, for the last 20, 30 years, they would do all this yani, one position, either all standing or all sitting, on the floor. And the irony is, is that they got the great thing right yani, about praying on the floor, which is what should happen. But starting from the beginning is not acceptable. Um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so, the, the, uh, the evidence of this of it being tahri uh, the tahrima being a rukan is the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to the one who made mistakes in his prayer le musa fi salatihi okay istaqbil al-qibla wa kabbir face the qibla and say takbir say allahu akbar wa kabbir say allahu akbar hadith sahih and also the hadith uh, of the Prophet ﷺ when he said, وَتَحْرِيمُهَا أَتَكْبِيرُ And that which prohibits the prayer, makes the prayer sacred rather, sorry, that which makes the prayer sacred, yani which establishes it, is the takbir. So the prayer cannot start or cannot be established without the takbir. Is that clear, folks? Yeah? Right. Let's take some of these uh, 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 other questions on the tahrima.
or the takbir itself? Are there any, any queries about that? Obviously, we covered all of this issue where it should be, the hand should be. We know that that's relaxed. But the point that you've learned today is that a person could stand up and just pray, pray without having to put their hands up. That the most essential part of the prayer, yani rukan, is the statement itself. The rest is just dressing. Okay? Nice dressing, magar, just dressing. Huh. That's right. The qiyam has to come before the tahrimah. Said it again. So now, what, what we mean is that the act, the actual act of the statements and the uh, the statements and the actions of the prayer. No. So this is so. So what? What? Um, what? Kaz is saying is, how can the uh, how can the how can standing be the first rukun of the prayer when the tahrima is what makes it sacred and opens it? It's the establishment of the prayer. Do you get? It's basically, is, is it the chicken or the egg? Is what he's, he's saying, right? And why not just say to to get doubt out that that qiyam is a shart of the prayer. It's a prerequisite. And there are some scholars that said that, by the way, but they were not from the four madahib. They were not from the majority of the fuqaha. And frankly, you're right. It's for semantic reasons. Okay? It's for semantic reasons because there is no prayer without standing. And if you are not standing for the takbir, then the takbir is almost like standing is a precondition for the takbir itself. It's a rukun for that. So it's just all semantic messy. So it's, we should just stick to the, 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 the litany of the scholars and say, yep, that, that's the first rukun. And the takbir al ihram is the second rukun of the two. Now, yes. Sir. Oh, absolutely. Anybody who can't stand, as we said before, then they are, yani, they pray qa'idan fa illam fa'ala jambin. Yani, then uh, 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 on their sides, in their bed, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Any other questions on the arkan? Okay, all right, let's go into a person who needs to sit. Can they lead the prayer? This we're going to come to in the... Um... No, I think we don't. There is no more section for this to come now. We have covered this. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the madhab position is that a person who sits, then the rest should sit as well, which is why they don't like the imam to lead while sitting. Yani someone else should lead the prayer. But in our opinion, it's allowed for a person yani, to lead sitting if that's the best person and the rest should stand behind them. And Allah knows best. So back home, they don't sit on the floor, rather they sit on a kind of a wooden back. Charbai. Sick one. Charbai. Charbai is like a, it's like a, it's like a musalla made out of wood. Isn't it? And it has a nice little qibla on it. Mihrab. Um, uh, Huh? It's a bed. Yeah, the one that Abba used to pray on. So what's it? Oh, so it's not made of wood. Yeah. Your charpai is the straw one. No, I'm not talking about that. Oh, right. 
How are they praying on a turbine? That's someone who's ill or sick. Stand on it. On the thing. You don't care how short you are. That's dangerous, man. <laughs> exactly, champion surfer it must have been. That's all balanced behavior that is. You know, on a, uh, uh, you know, you just reminded, you reminded me something um, about, cons uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, that's how your mind goes. You obviously set me off. So I said to you that obviously that, uh, that the asal is to pray standing. And if you can't, then you pray sitting. Now, when you think of can't, you think of some kind of maraz, yeah? But it doesn't have to be maraz. There are certain times where you physically can't stand. So me and Sheikh Walid and Yasser, we were on a boat once. Okay, I'm praying. And I'm telling you, we started off praying, standing. I think maybe about 10, 15 seconds, we got thrown right across the other side. Are you freaking kidding me? It's me, you and the flag. No, that was the, the, the well, bring it, tone it down by 80% version. What happened in that one? We almost went overside, that's why. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. That wasn't that. No, no he's right. No. No, no, no. <laughs> so there was. A, this is all the drama thingy. He's right. The masla on that day was that the boat kept changing, the qibla kept changing, and I kept changing direction. And we almost got. Yeah. Okay. So that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. So because I could see, I'm praying, I'm leading, and the boat was moving significantly, but I knew where the qibla was. So I was moving. Now, the, the way that these guys were standing is that they were actually kind of holding on to a few things. Now, I wasn't fully aware of that behavior behind me, that they were going to, when I turn direction, they have to turn as well, and they lose the support. So at some point, obviously, they've gone flying all over the place, whatever. But anyway, yeah, so I was with Sheikh Walid, and we were all standing in the middle, no change of whatever, just wave went up and down, and bam, we were all over the place. And we were combining, I remember, so Sheikh turned around, he goes, I don't know, I'm not praying standing ever again. I'm sitting down, yeah, and he put this. So we, we sat down and prayed, yeah. So uh, that was sitting without any reason to other than potential danger. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, the, the Sharia does have these concessions when it's based upon uh, a genuine uh, concern. Was I in the middle of answering something? Oh, Charbai. Bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> the, what I was talking about, Charbai. Charbai is what it is, yeah. People sleep on that. It's not that solid, bro. Tight, yeah. You can't be that tight, bro. What kind of cutter is it then? Short, light person. Yeah. Plastic, yeah. But that's tight. But, um, but it's not that tight. It gives. You're talking about like a platform. Yeah, I'm talking about a platform. I'm talking a platform. Yeah, a platform is allowed to pray on because a platform is not replacing anything. It's the floor. All charpais are strong. Are the olden ones. No, no giving it. The modern ones are all flexible behavior. Because we go sleep in that. We're simple. We're village people. We don't have beds like you lot. <laughs> right. Takht. That's the word. Takht bai. Takht. Yeah? Wooden. I've not really understood how the scholars came to the reasoning that a husband and wife praying together should do so. Where did this come from, bro? Right? 
uh, that a husband and wife praying together should do so with the wife standing behind as the only evidence used is the hadith relating to three people always. Yeah, there's no, uh, 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 the evidence we do have of two people praying that the ma'moon is on the right. So there's nothing to say otherwise for the lady that is a wife or Azul Hurma uh, or that Al Hurma. So the, um, that's correct. It is an ishtihad position of the scholars that said that the man should pray behind, that the wife should pray behind the man directly. And that is because they combine between the fact that there is not a single evidence to show them praying together. So, yes, some scholars argued, you know, as you said, Adam al Wurud, yani la yani Adam al Wujud. Just because it's not narrated doesn't mean it didn't happen. But uh, it's an ishtihad position, Rayhan. And it's a position of the vast majority. I don't know of any of the major scholars that said any different. Come down, Lala. Let's take the questions now off the topic and get it done and dusted. Right. It's a, uh, my dad is in a practice Muslim. He owns a hotel that sells alcohol. He's often mentioned that he has put shares of the hotel in my name. I have never received anything from this business, but I'm wondering how I'd go about it when my dad passes away if I don't pass before him. This is a topic that bothers me a lot. I hope you can advise me. So... The way that we approach this is the same that we approach everything that we do in terms of trade and business and inheritance and so on. When it comes to the rules of mu'amilat, we have basic principles. One of the most basic principles is that the business is based upon its significant interest, its significant reality, its significant product, not on its insignificant. Now, if this was an alcohol shop like Bargain Booze, right, or whatever, then this would be a disaster because 99% is all income from alcohol. Whereas a person who works in Tesco's and asks the same question, that I'm a shelf stacker, sometimes I have to put alcohol, or sometimes I've got to put the boxes there to put some, let someone else do, or I get paid from Tesco and they get a percentage. When you see each time the percentage of the work yani of stacking shelves is 5%, in terms of the income in your paycheck, it might be 15%. And you yourself, you don't have to assume, ah, oh, I'm definitely getting paid from the 15% yani from Tesco's, why are you not getting paid from the 85%? And we base Islamically uh, our ruling based upon the majority of a company in this business. So likewise here, in your inheritance, you do not need to assume that the entirety of the in shares and the proceeds of the hotel are impermissible. And if you are able to, and today that's very easy with EPOS, because every shop is now EPOS now, right? Um, and... With that data, you're able to see very quickly what the percentage of the sales were garnered by alcohol. And you can take that percentage and you give it away. And that's the best and the safest um, uh, position. Take the rest of the money, keep that, benefit from it. And the alcohol money you can give away to a charity that can benefit from it or some kind of cause that can use it. Not any very honorable cause or not Islamic per se. And even if there are desperate Muslims, then you can even give to them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy and guide your father. Allahumma ameen. My mum's side of the family are Christians. They have passed now. My kids and I often remember them and talk about them. I find myself, Allah irhamha, and I don't know if that is okay to say. If it isn't, what is an appropriate way? We're mentioning, we're mentioning Ahlul Kitab who have passed. Yeah, there's a consensus that, uh, of the scholars. It is completely impermissible to say, Rahimahullah or Allah irhamha, may Allah have mercy upon her or him or them to the non-Muslims. It is completely impermissible. And anything... Uh, else is okay anything that you know remembers them in good or whatever but you shouldn't be making dua for the deceased because every dua for the deceased is impermissible all right the dua for the deceased uh, non-muslims sorry the dua for the non-muslims is made before their death everything is allowed before their death 
As for after they have passed, then there is nothing left for them. That's the difference between the Muslims and the non-Muslims. After they die, the Muslims are then told to even increase yani, their efforts for making dua. The Prophet ﷺ, yani, boasted that the great thing that is left behind is the son that makes the dua and the people making the dua. And we have hadith which indicate that the people themselves, they are raised in Jannah. And when they're, concerned, when they're worried, how did that happen? Who was the reason for this? They're told it was the, their children or other people making dua for them. So that's what should be increased for the, non, for the Muslims. As for the non-Muslims, there's nothing to be said with respect to their uh, after they've deceased. Um, uh, the hadith states that when the Prophet ﷺ would retire to his bed, he would hold his hands together and blow into them, recite, قُلْ Then he would wipe them over what he could of his body, starting with his head and face and the front of his body, and he would do that three times. My question is to you, do you read the surah three times and wipe over the body once or you read them three times and wipe over the body three times? I hope that that question is clear. And the answer is that both are acceptable because both are interpretations of the scholars that have basis. Okay? Both have the basis to, to do that. So if a person split it up or a person didn't, the difference is acceptable. Wallahu alam. There's some questions at the bottom that are off the topic. No. Any other questions in here? Amir, man, is in Guernsey, miskin. Could you reiterate the point you made a while back with regards to wearing garments below the ankle? You said that the rule is not applicable to Western trousers, but instead to robes and gowns. Could you please explain, could you explain the reason behind this? The answer to this is that it is my opinion that the Prophet ﷺ never mentioned isbal um, uh, or the problem of allowing the garments to go underneath in anything in a sirwal or pantaloon or trousers or kurta or you know I mean, these phrases that we know that have legs and rather every hadith that speaks about the impermissibility of isbal has always mentioned thawb man jarra thawbahu aw man yani as yani everything's to do with thawb and the thawb is the two uh, is the single opening yeah and so that's from an evidence point of view, from a practical point of view and a societal point of view, and this is important, nobody, unless you're weird, yani like metrosexual weird, yeah, like thinks that you're so cool if your trousers are like really below your ankles, like, like all the way to your socks or something, right? It's like not a thing, you don't. Whereas from a thobe, you completely see that, all right? Those, now... Yeah, the, you, know, the, the, you know, you see in this masjid, yani our masajid here in the West, some Paki come in with that. You just know that the guy just bought a thobe off the shelf. He just didn't get the right thing. Yeah, you know that he's just miskeen, but jara he is. You can see it off his shoulders. You can see it dragging a foot on his foot. You just feel sorry for that guy. Yeah, though it is very much unlike if you're in the Middle East or in the Gulf. They get it cut to that level. They carry the arrogance. They walk with that move. It's all exactly as the hadith says. And they are embarrassed to have it short, etc., etc. That is what I believe the hadith is restricted to and not the concept of trousers. And I don't mean just jeans and chinos. I mean like this as well. Yani this uh, type of, uh, what's it, the shirwan? Yeah, and so on. None of this has any basis yani, to, to think. Yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah but, but that like is because they... Yeah, they feel that uh, 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 thingy. How did the scholars decide the mu'atamad of the madhab? 
that's only down to their personalities that they respect as the highest. You checked all the questions, Lala? Yeah. All done? Folks, we done? Zakmullah khair. Any announcements? Any announcements? Are we good? Zakmullah khair. Fiqh of death, by the way, I'm announcing it. Because very pertinent and relevant class, because now that we're all going to die, at least you all should know how we're going to die, right? So, uh, uh, April 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Bradford, inshallah, is going ahead. Okay, April 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.